know how <clears throat> sometimes you um, you have one of those days that you just uh, can't figure it out why you're feeling what you're feeling and and you know that that's not where you should be but that's where you're at and 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 sometimes you you come to church and and you're just kind of in that place of man I just feel like blah or it's just not happening right and uh, last week. I got to tell you, man, um, I was just in one of those places last week, last Thursday, and I, 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 I can't explain it. You know, I'm trying to blame it on jet lag and all that stuff, but it's, it was just, I was just in a weird place, you know, and, and Jim usually gets there at about six o'clock and, you know, um, he asked me how I'm doing. It's like, well, let me tell you, you know, and he just prays for me and then uh, got some more prayer from somebody else. We just kind of, but because my heart was, Lord, I don't want to go out. I don't, I don't want to get up here and fake it. <laughs> like, hey! And it's like, bah. Nor do I just want to come out here and throw up on you either, you know? It's like, does life suck for you? Because it sucks for me right now. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so it was just amazing. I was just sharing with Jim earlier, you know, because he came in like, you okay, man? And, and it's like, you know, last week, and, 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 and I was just kind of praying for everybody, and I don't know who was behind me or anything, but I'm going, Lord, I don't know what they're coming in with. But Lord, just that, that during this time of worship, we can just say, okay, Lord, whatever happened today, I just want to worship you. And I know that sometimes, you know, we, we, we pray that, and then we, throughout the whole study, you're, you know, you're just looking at me, and it just sounds like, wow, 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 wow. I'm not listening because I just got all this other stuff going on. And so I don't know what you're going through tonight. But we all go through stuff like that, you know. And last week I was just in that place. And yet, because we we're talking about, you know, if you weren't here last week, it was just a, a neat time, different night. And, uh, and God just kind of ministered a lot of in-reach uh, body ministry. And I, I was just so appreciative of, of just being able to be honest with a brother or sister and say, hey, um, I'm not feeling it right now, you know. Can you just pray for me? And Or them offering to pray and and God is so faithful, guys. And, uh, you know, just worshiping right now and just kind of singing some of these songs and just worshiping and going, Lord, you are everything, Lord. You are so everything for us. And, and it doesn't matter sometimes how we feel. He still loves us. I mean, you could, you could come in here all bummed out and walk all bummed out, walk out bummed out. And you know what? He still loves you. And it's okay. And you cannot listen to a single word I said today. Or maybe you're going, dang, did you have to go there because that's where I'm at. Well, I just want to pray for you and just pray for everybody here that uh, regardless of what you're going through, that God would just kind of bring you to a place of, of just knowing just how much you are loved by him. I also want, want you guys uh, just pray for this weekend, another busy weekend. It just seems like life just continues to go, go, go. We have the Kids Olympics. And if your kids have never been a part of this, it is so much fun. I mean, from the little ones to, you know, um, elementary school. But, but we have all this stuff going on here. And just pray. Just pray for the kids that are coming for their safety because we've got a lot of gravel out there. Um, get a lot crazy because some of you guys are competitive. And guess what? Your kids are just as competitive. So we need to be careful. But be that as it may, it's just going to be a fun time of, of family ministry. But invite somebody. Let it be evangelistic as well. So, so bring some family, friends, or neighbors, or stuff, or just invite people. And, um, and then uh, Sunday, we got regular church, and then that evening, we have our man meeting. And so if you're a man, you should be here. If you think you're a man, you should be here. 
Um, um, but anyway, I, it's just going to be an awesome time of, uh, of just being together with men. And I'm just so looking forward to hanging out with some of my brothers and just uh, seeing what God does that day and just challenging us. So, so with that, let me pray for you and pray for tonight and just pray for what's going on. Jesus, we are so grateful, Lord, that no matter how we feel, no matter what our day has been like, Lord God, you are able to penetrate. You are able to come in and just remind us just how good you are. That, Lord, everything that happens in our lives is temporal. That, Father, there's times that we can't even uh, trust our own feelings, Lord, because they even lie to us. Lord, you are good. You are always good. And we want to glorify you, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here in this room right now, Lord God. I don't know what they're feeling right now. I don't know what they've, their day has been like. But I pray that right now, Lord God, you would just penetrate their heart and just let them rest in you. Remind them, Lord God, just how much you love them. And that, Father, whatever they might be going through, if you can just touch them right now, if the enemy is, is lying to them, if the enemy is putting these burdens on them, even if life itself, Lord God, is just so heavy right now, I pray that, Jesus, you would just lighten that load and that they would be able to hand it over to you right now. Lord, you brought them here for a reason, Lord. Father, there's things in your word that, that will be shared today, Lord. And God, I, I, I want to be able to convey it with clarity, but maybe you want to just speak specifically and so I pray for any hindrance that you'll get it out of the way and that the enemy would be bound right now. And Lord, we are so grateful for the things that happen around this place, Lord God, and the heart of our ministries here, Lord God, to minister to the kids, to the men, to everybody around, Lord God. We just pray that, God, you would just uh, be glorified through everything that happens here. We pray for your safety, Lord God, upon all these kids that will be here just seeing them uh, compete and having fun. <clears throat> but I pray for the parents that they would also, Lord, be ministered to. Pray for Bill and Kathy and Brett and Trish, Lord God, as they uh, kind of oversee this whole thing and all the people who are helping. Just watch over every one of them, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Lord, we want to lift up your holy name because you are worthy to be praised, Lord. And so just allow our hearts be surrendered to you in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> well this evening we are starting a new book but the narrative, the storyline, the sequence of events if you will continues. In other words we're picking up where we left off as we finished back in late June or mid-June we finished off 2nd Samuel and, and we got into our summer series on the Holy Spirit. And now we go back to the OT. And, and we kind of pick up right, right where we left off. We left off a second king or second Samuel, but we're starting off in first Kings. So you can make your way over to, to first Kings, the book of first Kings. Now, because there's a first Kings, it only stands to reason that there'll probably be a second Kings, you know. And there is. Um, but originally, these two books were one book. And I like what one commentator, uh, how one commentator put it as I was reading about this. First Kings and Second Kings 
were not divided as they are because uh, there was a natural uh, uh, break occurrence in the narrative, but because the large scroll of First and Second Kings needed to be divided into a smaller, more easily manageable unit. And the result was these two books, which are almost equal in length. Now, most believe that these books were separated around the time that the Septuagint was written, and that's when it was uh, when they made the the, the break. Um, the the Septuagint is the Greek um, language of the Old Testament because the, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, but when the Septuagint came out that they made this break. But be that as it may, uh, what we have here in, in First and Second Kings is, is more than just the historical record of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Um, what we have here is history. You know, history of, of the nation of Israel for sure and all that went on there. But, but we get to see in history, um, not, not just the historical records of the kings, but the lessons that can be learned in history. What, what I love about the Word of God is that it gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what we see in, in First and Second Kings. Because we're going to pick up uh, at the end of David's life, and we're going to take it all the way to the end of the kingdom there. You know, when, when Israel is, is basically taken into captivity. But, but again, it's more than just a historical record. What we see in, 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 in history here is the faithfulness of God. That He is so faithful towards His people. As He fulfills promises both in their blessings and in their consequences when they disobey. Because there's promises when you disobey. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> there, there's promises all, all the time throughout the Word of God. And, and some promises, it's like, well, I don't like that promise, but it's a promise because God doesn't threaten. It's like, well, if you do bad, I'm going to count to three. It's like, no, you do bad, these consequences will happen, and they are a promise. And, and that's what we get throughout the book's well, throughout the Old Testament for sure, but, but in, in this portion of Scripture that we're getting ourselves into as we begin to see this monarchy and, and then this, this, this whole book or these two books come about because it spans like almost 400 years from, from the beginning of 1 Kings to the end of 2 Kings. And it starts off as this united nation this united kingdom, but it ends up as a divided kingdom. And so in that, once again, we see the, the struggles of the, the children of Israel. And, and I think for us, it, it just kind of reminds us of, of the things that happen in our lives regularly. You know, we, we, we look at the nation of Israel and sometimes we think, man, you were this close to God. How is it that you would allow certain things to happen in your life? And yet, you know, I think most of us would say the same thing today, that, man, we are this close to God, man. These guys didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have the Holy Spirit. And how is it that, that sometimes we're united and sometimes we're divided? Not just as churches, but sometimes in our own households. You know, that, that, that we have our good times and we have our bad times, that, that there's good, bad, and ugly in everything. 
And I think sometimes as Christians, if we think that just that life is always good and it always has to be good, then you're living in a little bubble that will be burst one day and you're going to go, what the heck? It just happened. Because there is everything in our lives. Now, again, we can go back to the Word of God and say, well, everything that happens in our lives will be worked out for the good, as the Bible promises us, you know, that all things work together for the good for those who are the called according to his purpose. So God can use everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives. And he will do that as we go through this historical book, or these historical books. God will use everything. And the Bible tells us also in the New Testament that a lot, that, that what was written in the Old Testament is for our example. And we should learn from history, because if we don't learn from history, we repeat history in our lives. And I'm the type of guy that I want to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, I know there's people that, that, that say, no, I have to learn from my own mistakes because if I don't learn from my own mistakes, I'll never learn. I go, you're an idiot. You should learn from other people's mistakes because if you see that they're doing wrong, it's like, let's not do that one. Let's not go, I mean, you're not really idiots. You know what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, that we should, again, when we look at Scripture, and we're going, Lord, you put this for a reason. You know, you see that something that happens in people's lives or, or they allow themselves to go a different direction or, or a direction. You're going, oh, it's because they stopped following after God. I, I, I don't want to be there because I see the promises that come with that. You know, oftentimes those promises we call cursings or, or consequences, but there are promises nonetheless. And so the theme of the book, actually, in my, in my Bible here, in the, in the Schofield Bible here, is Kingdom United and Divided. And so, again, man, we start off great, and we look at the end, and we're going, geez. But we're going to go from the greatest king of Israel to the end of the kingdom of Judah and the fall of Jerusalem when we get to the end there. But we, we, we will run across some good kings and some bad kings. We will run across some characters that we will be introduced to, some prophets, some priests, situations, again, that God wants us to learn from. But in the end, they get carried away to Babylon. What a sad commentary. But God would use that even for his glory. And, and, and again, just reminding us that he is faithful when he brings them back into the land. So First Kings, again, it's a long chapter. I will try to break it up. And so we'll see how far we get, and maybe we finish the whole chapter. But First Kings chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now King David was old, was old, advanced in years. And they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely. And she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her. At the time of this 
portion of Scripture as we open up 1 Kings, as we start off, we, we are at the end of David's life. Now, I don't want to do a whole eulogy because he doesn't die until the next chapter. But I want to talk a little bit about him while he's alive. You know, because again, man, here, here we have a man who, who, who has lived all these years. And so we pick up his life, you know, again, at the end of Samuel, there's a little lapse in between times at the end of 2 Samuel into 1 Kings. But here, David now is about 70 years old, 71 years old. And according to the word of God, if you're over 70 years old, you're old and advanced in years. I'm not the one saying that. The Bible says that David was old. And we know, again, just from chronological things, that he is about 71 years old. So he's an old geezer now. He's old. Well, it doesn't say geezer, but you know that he's just kind of old. And, and apparently when you get that old, it's hard for you to generate heat in your own bed. Because here it says that, that even though they put a covers on him, he could not get warm. He, he wasn't generating enough heat. It didn't matter how many blankets they put on him. He was still cold. And I said, man, poor guy, man. As you get older, I guess you get cold. And I'm finding that out. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm not 71 years old. But man, oh man, there's times that my hands are getting cold and stuff like that. And I know people in this room that are always cold. And they're not even that old. But here David is on his deathbed, and for the life of him, for the death of him, he can't warm up. There's no way that he can generate enough, enough heat within his body. And I don't know if he's lost a lot of weight, I don't know. But, but it seems like his strength and his health is in decline. And there's not much more that they can do except go get him a pretty woman to lay with him and keep him warm. I'm thinking... Really? That's just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> because the word servants in verse 2 in other translations is officials or advisors and the Amplified says physicians. So apparently this was a common practice that when somebody could not get old or <laughs> get old, when someone could not get warm anymore, they would have someone come in. I'm thinking, okay, if you were just a common guy, you'd freeze to death. It's like, you know, it's like you can't just go, hey, I need a, a pretty woman to come and lay with me to keep me warm. They're probably going, no. But if you're a king, apparently, you can go throughout all the kingdom and, and get yourself a nice looking girl to come and lay with you to keep you warm. And I'm thinking, could it have not been just a homely looking girl? Maybe a little chubby that had some warmth, you know, that just kind of radiated heat? Could you not go get him a dog? Not a, like a girl dog, but, you know, like a dog, a, a pet that would probably keep him warm. But apparently, this was something common. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is what they did back in the days. Now, what I find interesting is that David had multiple wives. I'm thinking, not one of them can come and keep him warm? Why is it that he has to go look for another person to keep him warm? And, but, but it is quite possible that, that having so many wives, how do you pick which one is going to keep you warm? 
And, and, and maybe there might be some conflict. Well, why did you pick her over her? But I'm thinking, well, I don't know how it worked back then. Count one, one week, the next week. I, I, I don't know. Why do you have to go look for a, a woman? And I know I'm kind of playing this up, but, but at the same time, it's like it's just a weird thing here. I mean, we get a description about her beauty, and is it, is it that important that we have to know that she's a young, virgin, lovely looking? Well, that does come into play, and it's necessary a little after, after David dies. But what David needed was just a warm body. And again, I'm thinking, he's 71 years old. It just kind of seems creepy. You know, it's just, it just like, David, you, you are now a dirty old man. <laughs> you are now a dirty old man. That, and, and, and again, he's probably going, but I didn't ask for it. But you didn't decline it. It's like, yeah, my eyesight's so good. She looks good. Come on in. I mean, they didn't have electric blankets back in the day to keep you warm. To do stuff like that, and if you're going to get a, an electric blanket, get a pretty one. Get a nice one. I guess that's what his thought is. <laughs> Somebody's going to keep me warm. I want it. Anyways. <laughs> now, we are told that nothing happened between the two. So it was strictly for medicinal purposes that she is in his bed. In other words, it was merely therapeutic. It was something to keep him healthy, to keep him okay. And so, so, so we know that, that, that again, David, in, in, the, in the last part of his years here, it was all legit, you know. He, he, he never had any, any sexual relationships with her. That's what it means if you don't know what it means to, to know her in that way. But he'll be dying soon anyways. And maybe this lady's going, well, whatever. Um, Now, we know practically nothing about this young woman except that she was chosen to come. Now, whether, whether she agreed to it or not, it, it just doesn't matter because I guess when you're asked to come and do something like this, you know, it's, it, it's your responsibility. But, in, you know, we don't know if she's like willingly or going, this is going to be gross, but she's going but what we do see here is that she cares for the king and she serves him. In other words, she waited on him and nursed him. That, that's what she was called upon to do. Now, we, we don't know where she was at, spiritually speaking. But she was, as, as I, I guess the way I look at it, she was put into a very uncomfortable position as a young virgin woman to go and lay with this king that's old and cold. But she was obedient and she fulfilled her role. Not that we would ever be called to do something like that. But we might be called upon by the Lord and be put into an uncomfortable position to serve someone or to nurse someone. And, and, and you might be going like, that's just, that's just not me. And I don't know if that's what this girl was or not. I don't, I don't know how they figured it all out. But what I, I, as I was looking at this, I'm going, Lord, this, this young woman didn't ask for this, but somehow she's in the Word of God 
and it tells us that she, 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 she took care of this guy. She cared for the king and she served him. And I just found it fascinating because I think sometimes the Lord asks of us to do things that are uncomfortable. To, he puts us in uncomfortable positions sometimes to see if we're willing to be obedient. It doesn't matter if she liked it or not. She was obedient to what she was called to do. And I think oftentimes God wants our obedience, not whether we like it or not. It's like, Lord, this is not my forte. This is not what I do. It's like, but would you do it if I asked you to do it? It's like, well, Lord, I guess if, if, if because I love you and you love me, then you, if you're asking this of me, then I want to be faithful to you, Lord. And so I, I just, again, you know, I, I look at this story and I just kind of think it's creepy, but it's like, well, Lord, at least she was obedient. Now, even though the king never knew her sexually, she basically had com- become one of his wives and or concubines. And we'll see how that plays a role in the next chapter. Again, she never asked for this. But she was called upon to do this, and she was obedient. And so verse 5, it says, Adonai, Then Adonijah, the son of Higthis, Hig, Hag, Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? So he, or he was also very good looking. His mother had bore him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah. I can never get that one. but And, and, and with Abiathar, the, the priest, and they followed, uh, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, Nathan, the prophet, Shimea, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted calf by the stone of Zohor. Leth, which is by Enrogel, um, he also invited all his brothers and the king's sons and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, nor Solomon, his brother. Adonijah was, was David's oldest living son at this time. Um, he was probably about 35 years old at this time. Uh, David's firstborn, Abnon, was killed by Absalom, his, other, his half-brother. His second son, uh, Kiliab, um, must have died young. He was Abigail's son, but there is no record of anything about his life, so it's quite possible that he died young because we get the lineage back in chapter uh, 3 or so of first or second Samuel. And then his third son, Absalom, was slain by Joab. And so as David's eldest living son, Adonijah felt that he deserved the throne. After all, his father was now sick. 
He was a sick man and he was dying soon. And it would be important that there would be a king on the throne of Israel. And so Adonijah decides, I will become king. Like his half-brother Absalom, Adonijah seizes this moment, this opportunity when David is not at at his best. He is basically on his deathbed. And it's all, it's, it, it almost seems like, man, David gets no rest. But if you remember the time that, that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, that, that again, God, God basically said, man, you're going to pay for this dearly. And he has been paying for it time and time and time again. And there was people that, that David ended up killing and, and coming, uh, coming against that, that again, you know, he, he, all these consequences were kind of coming back at him. And now he has another son that, that is stepping in, and so these family issues just continue in his life, even at the end of his life. And it's like, guys, can, can he not just die in peace? But it says that Adonijah exalted himself, saying, I will be, I will be king. And the problem here is that Adonijah exalted himself. God was not exalting him to this position. God had already confirmed that Solomon would be the one that would be exalted to be king of Israel. In 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6 to 10, it says, Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him uh, I will give him rest from all his enemies around, and his name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel. Forever And so Adonijah had no claim to the throne. Now, there is always a danger when one exalts himself. I, I truly believe that Adonijah knew that God had called Solomon. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, he mentions that in, in saying, yeah, the throne was mine, but it got overturned because God had given it to to Solomon. And so I believe that everybody knew that, that, that the throne would be Solomon's. But Solomon is probably in his mid-twenties, maybe even young twenties, but somewhere under 30 years old. And Adonijah is probably thinking, well, he's still a punk kid. I deserve it because I'm the oldest living one. And so he exalts himself. And whenever someone exalts themselves, especially when they know that the Lord has not called them to do something of that magnitude, it is called pride. And God will always bring down the prideful. That, that, that is part of what the Word of God tells us. 
those who exalt themselves, God will bring down. And, and again, I could guarantee you that everybody in the kingdom had heard that Solomon would one day succeed his father and be the next king. But Adonijah exalts himself. And so in exalting himself, he, he begins to, to bring people around him to surround himself with, with a parade of men that would go before him. He gets his chariots ready. He gets everything ready to go. And he even brings in uh, with him some of David's closest friends. Joab, which is David's nephew, and had been with David for so long, sides with Adonijah, his cousin. He decides, I will, I will be on board with him. And I'm thinking, Joab, I mean, Joab, again, a hard guy to, to follow. But, but at this point, it's like, why now, Joab? This guy's dying. Why don't you just be faithful to him to the end? But he's not. Even Abiathar, the, the, the priest who had been with David, and he had left you know, Saul's side and went with David. And David brought him in. And David was, was with him and, 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 and for him all this time. And yet both of these men are going against their king. They're traitors in that sense. But getting these two on his side and, and inviting the, the brothers to be on his side, it was almost as if everybody was saying, well, this must be a done deal. And, and just because all these people are siding with this man doesn't make it good because <laughs> God was not in it. And I think oftentimes when we see people that are exalting themselves and we're going, well, it must be God because he's prospering. It must be something that God is in because look at all the other people who are siding with him. Just because those things are happening doesn't make it good or doesn't make it God, that God is blessing this. And I think oftentimes, even when in our own lives, we exalt ourselves, we do stuff, and, and you're going, oh, God, God is all in this. And you're going, really? I, I don't know. I can't see that. <laughs> and we need to be careful when we say, oh, God must be in it because we're prospering. I think oftentimes when, when, when the whole crowd is in on it, sometimes God's going, no, I'm not in it. And we need to be careful when we make decisions to follow after people thinking, well, God must be. But when we're making decisions and we exalt ourselves and it's out of pride that we're making decisions for our own gain or for whatever the case may be, we need to be careful. It, it, it seems as though Adonijah would get the kingdom because all these people are following after him. And it's almost as if he could not be stopped. Or you couldn't tell him to stop. But then again, we read in verse 6 that his, his father had never rebuked him. His father had never put him in his place. He always allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do. And that's a sad commentary on David. But again, he had multiple wives. He had so many kids. I think that, that, that maybe even for David, you know, as, as nice of a guy that we, we see him and being a great king and all, he wasn't always a great dad. He, he, he had all these other things going on. And, and I don't know if, I was, if it was out of guilt that he never, he never told him, 
you can't do this, or why are you doing this? Even in this moment, and I know that he's sick, and I know that he's dying, but he's warm. He could not say, hey, 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 stop. Hey, buckaroo, what are you doing here, man? Why are you going in this direction? You know as well as I know, everybody else knows, that you're not going to be the king. But it seems like he hasn't even heard anything. But we look at even, the, it gives us a little, a little insight as to Adonijah that he was also a good-looking man. Just like his half-brother Absalom, who had everything going for him outwardly, but inwardly. I mean, he, he might have been good-looking on the outside, but he was ugly on the inside. His character was just atrocious. The fact that he would, he would take advantage of his father's health. I mean, you would think that maybe he was going, you know, maybe I should go talk to dad. Maybe I should take over until Solomon gets a little bit more, more experience under his belt. Maybe that's, that's what we should do. But he doesn't do that. He just figures, I'm going to be king. I'm going to exalt myself and make myself king. Inwardly, he was just basically morally bankrupt. I, I, again, I truly believe that he knew that God was not calling him to be king, but he was going to take it because of his pride. He was going to make it happen. And we need to be careful when we feel like we need to make things happen. I, I, I think oftentimes if, if there's a calling there, if, he, if there was a calling for him to be king, just like in David's life, it would eventually come. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to push for it. You don't have to make it happen. And I think sometimes when we make it happen, sometimes it's because our pride has welled up. And we need to be careful and we need to put the, the, the pride in check. Because if we step out before God really wants us to do it, then we're going to fall flat on our face. And again, it's like, well, if you have to learn by, your, you know, by, by making your own mistakes, it's like, why don't you learn from other people's mistakes that when they've lifted themselves up, they fall flat on their face. And if there's pride welling up in your heart, you know the Scriptures well enough to know that God will always bring down the pride and exalt the humble. Now, even though he had rallied all the troops and won over all the hearts of the people, even most of his family, the Lord, had not called him to that. Again, that's important to note because if the Lord is not in it, then we shouldn't go for it. Just because it seems right in your own eyes doesn't mean that the Lord is in it. Verse 11, it says, Then so Nathan spoke to uh, Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Higgith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son, Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are uh, still talking there with the king, 
I also will come and uh, come after you and confirm your words. Now, we have not heard from Bathsheba or of Bathsheba since the death of her son and the birth of Solomon way back in chapter in in, uh, in Second Samuel. But make no mistake, I believe that she has been on the scene or in prominent places this whole time. She has not been a castaway in, in by any means. She, 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 has, she has been involved in this whole thing. Nathan has been a huge player in David's life. And he continues even at the end of David's life. He had not betrayed David like others had that were close to him. Adonijah never even invited him because he probably knew the faithfulness that he had. And that's why he didn't invite him. Now, it almost sounds like Nathan is coming up with this crazy plan to manipulate David, as others had done in, 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 in other times. But the Lord was, has Nathan there for the very purpose of saving Israel. I mean, he comes in and, and, and he takes, takes Bathsheba aside and, and lets her know what's happening. You see, Nathan knew God's heart and he knew God's desire. And others were trying to destroy God's plan, but he was the prophet. And so now he is there to give advice to Bathsheba. And the advice is right on because if, if, he, if they don't intervene there and call, come and talk to the king, not only will, will she lose her life and her son lose his life, but, but Israel will be in shambles. And so he is coming in not just to save their lives, but to save Israel as a whole. So it had been apparent to, to Nathan and Bathsheba, and I, I believe to others, that Solomon would be the next king. But I know some might say, well, well, maybe not everybody else knew about it, and it was kind of on the down low. But then again, like I shared, uh, Adonijah, he knew that the kingdom would go to him, to... to uh, to Solomon. And so in verse 15 it says, So Bathsheba went into the chamber of the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. When the king then the king said, What do you wish? Then she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted uh, cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king Abiathar, the, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, O, o uh, my lord, O king, all eyes, the eyes of all Israel are upon you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, 
it will happen when my Lord the King rests with his fathers that I and your son and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And so here we see that that Bathsheba has access to the king's chamber, chamber indicating again that, that he ha- she had his ear. The fact that, that, that there wasn't an, an announcement um, that she was wanting to come in proves that, again, indicates that she, ha- she can go in just about at any time to talk to the king. Now, again, I'm sure the king, even though he's 71 years old, still loves Bathsheba. She was probably still a lovely lady. She's probably now in her 40s, maybe even her 50s. And, 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 and he still has this heart for her that she can come in at any time. She makes the situation known to the king because if, if, she, if, he was, if she didn't know about it, it's quite possible that he didn't know that all of this was happening. But she comes in to tell him what's going on. And I don't think that she's exaggerating what will happen. She's not embellishing what will happen. She knows that if Adonijah gets in there, that her life is done. And her, king, er, and her son will be killed as well. Because that's what often happened, that the, somebody would come in and kill the rest of the family. Now, it seems as though she is, she is putting him on the spot, telling him, you have a decision to make and you need to make it quickly. And you almost feel sorry for him. (laughs) But there really isn't no time to waste. Because if he was to breathe his last, and and he had done nothing, then her and her son would be dead in no time. And that was the reality of it. But again, you see that David had never said anything to his son. And now she's saying, you got to do something before the kingdom is, is, is taken away from the son that you promised would have the throne. And so in verse 22, just in the nick of time, and, then, and just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan, the prophet, also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone out today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar, the, the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, your, me, your servant, nor Zadok, the priest, nor Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my Lord the King, and you have not told your servant who shall sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. Again, just as planned, he comes in at the perfect time. Now Nathan knew what God's plan was, and he knew that David had not changed his mind. 
But he comes in and he basically begins to ask them, have you changed your mind? And you had not told me the prophet of the land? Because God hasn't told me anything different. And so here we have this whole plan coming about. And so now David in, in his deathbed is now having to make some hardcore decisions about the kingdom. And in verse 28, it says, Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came to the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gishon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the, the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have anointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord the king do so too. As the Lord has been with my Lord the king, so also, so even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. In David's last moments of life, he's having to make some very important decisions. He is old. He is at the end of his life. And he has to <clears throat> put his family, the family issues in order. He has to stand up to his son. But he never says that he goes and confronts him. He just makes Solomon king. And, and he takes him down and he says, here, you need to take him down by, by Gishon. And Gishon was, was right underneath where his palace would be, where the old city of David is. It, it would be the spring of Gishon where Zedekiah's, Hezekiah's tunnel will be eventually. And where the other people are celebrating is not far from there. It's just south of them where he would go and be anointed. And, and his, his brother and all the other party that's going on, it would be from about right here to maybe Phelan Road, not far. And so when they can hear that what's going on, but now when they hear that Solomon has been crowned king and there's a horn that has been, been blown, these guys can hear it over here. But God has called Solomon to be king, 
And God has exalted Solomon. And so in verse 38, it says, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Kirathites uh, and the Pilathites um, went down and had Solomon ride on the king's, King David's mule and took him to Gishon. Then Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went after him. And the people played flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. And so you can make, you can rest assured that, and, and we'll see in the next verses, that Adonijah and the rest of his party, as they kind of quiet down, they could hear what's going on. And those who have, been, who have exalted themselves will be brought down, and those who have been humbled will be brought up. And that's the story that we're getting here. That those who exalt themselves, God has a way of humbling. And those who are humble, because you never see Solomon fighting for this position. He knew what his father had told him. And so he's just waiting for the moment, and now is the moment. And so in verse 41, it says, Then Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard, heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are, you are a prominent man, and bring good news. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Kurathites and the Pilathites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, have anointed him king at Gishon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in uproar. This is the noise you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord, uh, King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on his bed. Also the king says thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose and each went to his own, his own way. And so we see that this whole picture here, that, that those who have exalted themselves, all of a sudden there's fear that comes upon them because of what God has, is doing. God has exalted Solomon. God has brought the priests and the prophets, those who are his, those who have been faithful to him, to anoint him. And he will be lifted up. And he is the one that is now sitting on the throne. 
Adonijah never even got close to the throne. He, he, he pretended that he was somebody. He wanted to be somebody because his pride welled up within him. And it's bringing him to a place that will be his destruction. Instead of humbling himself, instead of understanding what God had planned, he wanted his own plan. And there's a danger when we do that because we can oftentimes exalt ourselves. James 4, 7 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In verse 50, it says, Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, and he arose and went and took hold of the horn of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. For look, he has taken hold of the horn of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar. And he came and he fell before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. Solomon spares his life. He didn't have to do that. And it's interesting because Solomon is young. He's green, basically. But the wisdom that's already coming into his life that God is giving to him, he says, if if there is no fault in him, of course he's going to live. I'm not going to kill him. But if there's wickedness in his heart, he shall die. Now, knowing that he is his older brother and probably seeing him around, he probably thought, I'll kill him soon. (laughs) Because there's wickedness in his heart. He, he is, his proven character has already been shown to us in this first chapter. He knows that he has not been called to, the king, to be king. And yet he exalts himself. And yet you see this humble king, Saul, saying, well, of course, he'll live. If he proves himself to be worthy, all he has to do is pr- prove himself to be worthy. But if he's not worthy, he shall die. And that's no threat, that's a promise. (laughs) You see, grabbing hold of the altar, the horn of the altar, this was before the, the, basically the refuge cities that one could go run to, that if he committed manslaughter and it was an accident, he would go and get a fair shake, a fair trial. But if if you couldn't make it over there, you just go to the temple and you grab the hold of the altar and it kind of bought you some time. And that's why he's hanging on for dear life, for mercy. And he's shown mercy because he's not dead at the end of this chapter. But just to spoil it a little bit, he will die. He will die. You know why? Because his character. He's a worthless man (laughs) in that sense. His character is ugly. Outside, he has it all. But inside, he's ugly. And he has already proven it by, by, by exalting himself. And guys, we need to be careful that we don't exalt ourselves because God has a way to humble us. And this man will prove his record. And, and, I, and I feel like, Lord, you've given this man a chance to humble himself. And he comes and he bows before David or before Solomon. 
Here he exalts himself in the beginning of the chapter, and at the end of the chapter, he's bowing down, but, but his character is standing up with pride because we're going to see it in the next chapter. It's like, dude, there's no repentance. There's no repentance. And he's just like Absalom, his brother, who also came against his father. Now let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for this chapter, Lord. Father, even as we begin this new book, Lord, and we begin to, to see even the life of David, Lord God, how, how, how this man, through all the things that he went through, man, he was a man of war, and, 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 and life had, had beaten him down, Lord. And at the end of his life, he can't even stay warm. Lord, I, I thank you for just teaching us about David. But yet, Lord God, you show us the good and the bad and the ugly about David, Lord, that he couldn't even discipline his own son. He, he never wanted to hurt him in that sense, Lord God, and yet we see that this man will destroy himself because of it. So, Lord, again, we thank you for the lessons that you give us through your word, that those who exalt themselves will one day bow before a king, whether they like it or not. And those who, who are humble, who have been called, Lord, you will raise them up in due time. And so we see that here, Lord. But I pray for us, Lord, because there's so many things in our lives that we can exalt ourselves in. And you really want humility from us instead. You will resist the proud, but you will give grace to the humble. So Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you continually, Lord. Lord, I, I, I truly believe, Lord, that every time pride is, is, is manifested, the, the enemy wins and people get hurt. But when humility comes forth, Lord God, we exemplify who you are. You show us, Lord God, what humility looks like through Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you have to humble us. <laughs> Go with us now, we ask. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.